Uh, hey guys, welcome back to Living in the Light Podcast, and today we are going to be addressing the comment from last episode, so on left. Yeah. Uh, they left a few objections that uh, they put in there, and so we're going to be answering those. So, to start, I wanted to say, oh, I set my notes at the bottom. So to start, I wanted to say, when you're talking about science, because that comment was left on our Science vs. Christianity podcast episode, and so... I just wanted to say that when you're talking about science and Christianity converging, you need to understand, first of all, that they are most certainly not in conflict as modern scientists would have you to believe. In fact, they're actually heavily interconnected. Christianity shows us who created the world and helps us have a relationship with him. Science helps us understand the world that that creator created. And I think one of the major problems by people thinking that Christianity and science can't converge is because people seem to have the false belief that in order to to trust science, you have to also trust evolution. And that in order to be a Christian, you have to abandon logic and reason and all this other stuff, and you just have to be illogical and unreasonable, and you have to abandon evidence. But in reality, that's a false claim. Because anyone who truly studies science and logic, honestly, will come to no other conclusion except that Christianity is the truth. And that's not even um, talking about how accurate God's word is. I mean, it's very clear that God's word is as accurate as humanly possible. I mean, there's never been a book in history that's successfully predicted more prophecies than the Bible. Yeah, uh, the main point uh, that I had was uh, that science and Christianity, they may not like fully converge, but they coexist together. They are not two separate things. You can't just like believe in one and not the other. and you can't use science to disprove, you can't use one to disprove the other or whatnot, yeah. either. So Because science confirms Christianity, and it yeah. confirms the Bible at every turn. So how can science, which confirms Christianity, be in disagreement with it? I do, however, want to like to make a distinction that when I'm talking about science, I mean actual legitimate science. I am not talking about the modern-day evolutionary theories that all the modern scientists are talking about. I'm talking about an honest review of the facts. Far too many people think that evolution and science are interwoven and that they're the same thing. But in reality, evolution is actually just an unproven theory. In fact, I would argue that it's been disproven on the grounds of biology, archaeology, astronomy, and the law of biogenesis, just to name a couple different areas which highly attest evolution. Yeah, and so, so when we talk about science, we're not talking about that. Yeah. So uh, before we hop into this, I just want to let you guys know we like... Uh, seeing comments like this, yes. it helps us uh, re- answer questions other people might have. So if you have any like disputes or anything like that, just drop a comment below, yeah. and we'll uh, do our best to answer it next episode or in a future episode at some point. Yeah, we appreciate every comment, good or bad. All right, so uh, the first part is uh, we already went over the convergence part. Uh, what is that? Uh, part of the comment that we're going to start off with is. Uh, when Christians believe in talking animals. So, uh, the part I have on that, I can only find three points in the Bible where actual animals were talking. And the first was in Genesis. I think it's like 1-3, or no, no. not 1-3. It's like 3, chapter 3 something. I think it's like 3-1 or something. Else. It's Genesis 3. Yeah, Genesis 3 something. And uh, that snake would uh, talk to Eve, and that's where the first sin began. But this, we don't know if Satan was a snake or if he was talking through the snake. But either way, it was the power of an angel, basically. A fallen angel. 
second part uh, was the donkey in Numbers 22. Numbers, yeah, Numbers 22. Uh, where the uh, Lord spoke through the donkey to as a message to what was his name? You got it? Balaam. Balaam. That was Balaam's donkey. Oh, I thought it was someone else's donkey. Yeah, but uh, Balaam's uh, donkey was talking back to him because uh, Balaam had rebuked his own donkey, basically. Yeah. So what I have on that is very similar to Riley's. I just wanted to say that the instances of animals speaking in the Bible is commonly used as an objection to Christianity to say that we're rational. However, there are only two times in the Bible when animals speak that I know of. It's Riley, I know Riley said he's a third. Um, Genesis 3 and Numbers 22, like he said, um, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan deceives Eve through a serpent. And the second one was, like he said, when God opens the mouth of Balaam's donkey and allows him to speak to him. And the first thing I wanted to point out about both of those is that neither time did the animal speak on its own. Both time there was an outside force that caused it to speak, whether that be Satan in Genesis 3 or God in Numbers 22. The Bible doesn't ever, doesn't ever say or ever even imply that animals, can, such as donkeys and snakes, can talk on their own. It simply records two different instances in which supernatural forces temporarily gave that animal the ability to speak. The serpent in Genesis 3 and the donkey in number 22, Numbers 22 are not reasons to disbelieve the Bible, but instead to show you just how powerful God is and that he does have power over his creation. Yeah, and so uh, the third animal, that I, the only other animal I could find in the Bible that uh, was talking was an eagle, but this was in one of John's visions. So no matter whether it was a talking animal or not, a vision is not like real life. It's almost like a basically like a dream, but it's something showing of the future almost. Yeah. So, you know, right. so her second objection, the comment's second objection to Christianity was that God created man out of, as she put, as the comment put it, dirt. And so what I want to say is that this account is found in Genesis two and tells of God creating man from the dust of the ground. And after God has used the dust to create an empty shell, he breathed the breath of life into it, and it became the first man, Adam. Many atheists that believe humans came to be through evolution find this statement to be preposterous, choosing to instead believe in evolutionary theories. So now I thought that I would simply point out a couple of evolutionary theories and worldviews of where humans came from. A couple of them are the trickle-down chemistry, water world, RNA world, pre-RNA world, TNA world, XNA world, Darwin's warm little pond, Lipid world, nucleopeptide world, sugar world, clay theory, spinning living crystals, directed panspermia, and extraterrestrial infall, not to mention the water travel theory. So as you can see, evolutionists still, and never have, come to a conclusion as to how life possibly could have arisen from nothing. Let me just explain a couple of these evolutionary views where humans came from. Darwin himself, Charles Darwin, suggested that it could have started in some warm little pond. Or, perhaps, as Jack Sostak suggests, Maybe it started with bubbles of fat. And then um, C.R. Dedu prefers the theory that we came from purposeful activity among molecules of crystalline clay. And then finally, Sharon Glotzer suggests that spinning crystals may help us to, as she stated, begin to understand how the first living structures emerged from the superchemicals. And the water droplet theory actually suggests that human life arose from a droplet of water. So in the end, which makes more sense, an almighty God using his infinite power and creativity to create man using the dust of the ground, or for human life to have randomly developed in a warm little pond somewhere. As you can clearly see, the biblical stance of man being created by God is infinitely much more plausible than life having risen from spinning crystals, fat bubbles, or molecules of crystalline clay. As Romans 1.22 says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 
ultimately whether or not you believe in the biblical account of man's creation boils down to whether or not you believe in God and specifically creation and the Bible. And as for evidence for biblical creation goes, there is an unbelievable amount, some of which we went over in the last episode, Science vs. Christianity. And as far as evidence for God goes, there's possibly an even greater amount of evidence, which we can maybe try to go over in a future episode. Yeah. Uh, I think we took this question different ways because you went more the evolution way. Yeah. I went more of a scientific look at it uh, way because I took it more of like, how would men be it made out of dirt if we don't have like almost the exact same molecules and atoms as dirt does? And so I just wanted to say that uh, humans be, were made out of dirt. That's what the Bible says. They were made out of the dust of the ground. Yeah. But that just shows to prove how powerful God really is because he created the universe out of nothing. He All he did was speak words and things just came into existence. So yeah. there, we may not have the same atoms as dirt, but he created atom out of dirt. And all I wanted to point out was that you either believe God created man out of dirt, or if you follow the evolutionary worldview, you believe something even, evolved more, out of even more ridiculous. Yeah. That mankind evolved from something like a water droplet or a bat bomb. Like dirt? Um, uh, and then they, the next part that they stated was uh, Jesus obviously didn't know when they fruited. So, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know this, figs do not fruit by before or after the leaves. The leaves don't come in before or after the figs. They come in at the same time. So once the leaves have come in, the figs will not grow. Once the figs have come in, the leaves will not grow. And so, uh, the instance here is uh, the verse that I found. He has a different verse for it, because it's in the Gospels. Uh... Mark eleven thirteen, the Bible's exact words are, And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if happily, he might find anything thereon. And when he came, it, came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. So, uh, I guess you could take that as the leaves were in, but the figs were not. And so clearly, the fig tree, he, did, he just didn't know when the figs because he said the time of the figs was not yet. But I think Jesus was more of using this as an example to the disciples to show them that even though you may look like a Christian, you may look like you are doing good things and whatnot, there are no fruits on the inside of following God and whatnot. So, looks can be deceiving, basically. And so... Yeah, so he took his passage from the book of Mark. I found, when I was looking into this, I went through, the, found it in the book of Matthew. And this is Matthew 28, 18 through 19. Yeah. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, oh, the Matthew through 20? No, 19. I was right, sorry. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth word forever. And so what I just wanted to point out was, if you're, I don't know, these are the same event, they probably are, because I know this is Matthew, Mark, are part of the Synoptic Gospels, so they record a lot of the same events, yeah. they just word it slightly differently. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are basically all about Jesus' lives, yeah. but from different perspectives, and they have yeah. different parts of Jesus' life in there. Yeah, they focus on different things. Because, like, uh, for example, Luke was a yeah, doctor, yeah. medic, physician, so he looked at it more from that standpoint. Medical standpoint, yeah. While 
Matthew was a tax collector, right? Yes. Yeah, so he looked dead from That's what I was to point out. So if you're looking at the Matthew account, I just wanted to say that they said that Jesus didn't know what figs fruited, but I mean, honestly, I don't see that as being necessarily a valid objection only because if you look at the passage, Jesus said the tree would grow no fruit anymore. Now, an atheist would look at that and they would say, see, he's saying that it's not going to grow fruit anymore, but just because there's leaves doesn't mean they can't grow fruit. What I would say is Jesus said it was never going to grow fruit anymore, and it withered away instantly, and it never grew fruit anymore. So when Jesus said it wasn't going to grow fruit anymore, he wasn't saying it won't because it naturally won't. He was saying it won't because I will curse it, and then he did, and then it died, and then it did not grow fruit anymore. That's why I just didn't, in the Matthew account at least, I didn't see that as a valid objection. Yeah. That one was a little hard to find. But. Yeah. Is there anything for Yeah. So the fourth objection was light before a sun is made. And surprisingly enough, this is not a new objection to Christianity. Believe it or not, scholars and theologians have been speculating on this for nearly 2,000 years, as far back as Tertullian in 150 to 220 AD was when he lived. In the Genesis account of creation, we see in Genesis 1-3 that God says, Let there be light, and there was light. On day one. But God didn't create the sun until day four. So how is there light before a sun is made? Uh, as I said, this question has been asked for 2,000 years, and so there are literally 2,000 years worth of explanations for it. Now, we don't truly know what this light source was. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there have been many speculations as to what this light source has been over the centuries. And I have a couple instances here. I think actually you have the same one. Yeah, we, we both somehow got the same instances. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways. Two different ways of studying and so, um, for instance, Tertullian, the guy I mentioned from lived in 150 to 220 AD, he believed that the light source was Jesus Christ himself. Ephraim the Syrian, who lived from 306 to 373 AD, believed that it was a pillar of fire like the one that guided the Israelites through the wilderness. Basil of Caesarea believed that God created light on day one, but that it wasn't until day four that he put it into the sun. Now, those are just three of the examples that I had found. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, so as you can see, there's a lot of different ideas of what this light source was. But just because the Bible says God created light on day three, but there wasn't a sun until day four, doesn't mean that it's an error. Because I believe an almighty God could have created yeah. light on day three, or day one, and not created a sun until day four. And uh, I just want to point out, because the sun isn't light. It, cre it produces light because of the, because uh, it's a ball of gas, and the, the chemicals inside, hydrogen and helium, uh, cause a process of nuclear fu fusion, which creates the light of the sun in it. And so, just because God created light doesn't mean that the sun was the only thing that could create light in the time. God could have just created light in darkness, and he separated them. How, we don't know. We, we might not ever know, but... Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're not God. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say, if you have any... If you like, if you want to look at it a little further, or you want to see some more examples of beliefs about what the light source was... Um, the answer to Genesis article, Light Before a Sun is Made, has a, uh, probably like, I think like nine or ten different viewpoints that you can look through of different people throughout the centuries that what they have said they thought it was. You can look at that if you want to. But again, ultimately, this is a question of whether or not you believe God, the Bible, and creation. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to move on to the second part of this comment where uh, they... They said that uh, Christianity oppressed and persecuted people who were investigating things like heliocentrism and the age of the earth, and they squashed knowledge for the inquiry of thousands of years, aka the Dark Ages, putting the Western world behind China, India, and Japan. They just 
kept going on about how the oppression was and whatnot. And so, for one, I want to state, Christianity oppression was not all of Christianity. Because what they're talking about was the Catholic Church, which was run by the Pope himself. But what I want to state is that Christianity is not... You can't just group all Christianity in one thing with that, because Catholics are vastly different from, like, the Amish. They don't have any, really, any much connections. Like, the, Christi the Catholics have radical views on everything. And if you look into some of the things that the Popes have done over the years, it's, they go to extremes on things and whatnot, so... And I had some of the same things to say. I just wanted to start when we're going to this section to begin with saying that we do need to establish first thing, few things, like Riley said, is that there needs to be a distinction between biblical Christianity, as I would call it, and Catholicism, because they are not the same thing. Far too often people take Christians like us and they'll group us with Catholics because we both are under the broad spectrum of Christianity. But as far as that goes, I would probably classify Catholicism as a separate religion entirely. I mean, if you look at the Bible, true biblical Christianity disagrees with Catholics on a lot of their major beliefs, like um, the church, salvation, baptism, communion in the Bible, hell, and many, many more. Um, so we could go through and show you how biblical Christianity differs from Catholicism, but that's not what we're here for right now. We'll probably do that in a later yeah. episode. Yeah, maybe well. in a later episode we go through that, but I do think that we do need to establish the difference between Catholicism and biblical Christianity. Because that does have a bearing upon the current topic. Because when you're talking about the things that she talked about in her in the comment, um, you need to understand that they were caused by Catholics, not Christians. I mean, if you look back yeah. at history, the Inquisitions and the Crusades, those were instigated by the popes of that time period. Yeah. And uh, also, they blame. They basically in the comment they said that the Dark Ages was just from what I read it, understood of the comment at least, was just the Christians oppressing and hiding knowledge from the scientists and whatnot. And so, I just wanted to explain the Dark Ages was not just that. That's only yeah. a part of it. Because the Dark Ages was the beginning of the fall of the Roman Empire. And so there was so much chaos going on because there was like kingdoms rising up everywhere. That's why you have like the HRE that popped up the Holy Roman Empire, which was created by the Pope. And uh, there was kingdoms rising up, conquering other kingdoms. The main focus was no longer science. It was more warfare and whatnot. And I divided it. So I actually, in, in the end, divided this this part of the comment, the history part, into three sections of the three things she talked about. The first one I wanted to talk about was that she talked. the comment talked about how Christianity persecuted and oppressed people who were trying to study things like heliocentrism. And so to deal with this, I think it does need to be said that at that time, the prevailing theory that the Catholic Church accepted, and much of the world, was geocentrism. And that was, I believe that was originally propagated by Claudius Ptolemy, I think. Um, however, as time progressed, men arose, such as Galileo, who was persecuted for his views on heliocentrism by the Catholic Church, not biblical Christianity. In fact, it was none other than Pope Paul V that gave the decree for him to be banned from teaching it in 1660. It was also the Pope who banned the books on heliocentrism, not Christians. Then finally, in 1633, he was tried by the Catholic Inquisition and sentenced to house arrest, where he remained until he died. So as you can very clearly see, 
the only people who were hindering people studying things like heliocentrism was the Catholic Church, not biblical Christianity. Who I would note, there was many people that did believe more similar to what I would say biblical Christianity would believe, that Catholic Catholics and the Pope very severely persecuted as well. I also wanted to state that nowhere in the Bible does it state that the Earth is the center of the universe. The no, only thing not. that I, the verse that I, only verse that I could find that even resembled something like that was that the Earth was uh, held up on like strings or something like that. And it was like one of those passages like Psalm something, and that's usually more of like metaphor. Yeah. And so he might have, they might have taken that and thought if it's if it's held up by strings that it's probably fixed in place, but that is not how the world works, as we all know. Yeah. Um, and for the Dark Ages bit, I did have something on that. So they say the comment said that Christianity squashed knowledge and inquiry for 1,000 years, and that is known as the Dark Ages. However, the Smithsonian Magazine says recent scholarship has largely dispelled the myth of a European medieval Dark Age, bringing to light a wealth of scientific, literary, and artistic achievements, from the treaties of the philosophical friar Roger Bacon to the medical texts of the nine Hildegard of Bingen. So it is true. Is it true that Christianity squashed knowledge and inquiry? No, Christianity most certainly did not. In fact, according to the History Channel's website, in an article entitled Six Reasons the Dark Ages Weren't So Dark, they said that Catholicism did not squash knowledge either. It even said that monasteries encouraged literacy and learning. Literacy levels were very, very low in the Middle Ages, yeah. like Riley said, because people stopped focusing on learning and science and more on warfare. And that many medieval monks were both patrons of the arts and artists themselves. So as you can see, the Dark Ages not only weren't as dark as some people might have you to believe, but that the claim that Christians oppressed knowledge doesn't necessarily apply to Christianity or to Catholicism in that sense. National Geographic said, despite the era's dark reputation, though, everything from scholarship to art and technology thrived during the Middle Ages. The age produced everything from the first eyeglasses to mechanical timekeeping, the heavy plow, and movable type reinventions that would enable the Industrial Revolution and the Age of Enlightenment. Gunpowder weapons revolutionized the war warfare forever, while map makers managed to create astonishingly accurate maps of the world. So as can be clearly seen, the Dark Ages may be seen as dark to some people, but they are not nearly as dark as we may have been led to believe, and neither Christians nor Catholics were, well, at least as far as I've seen, were squashing knowledge or anything. Yeah. I also, just something that popped in my head, want to state that uh, just because one group of people or one time period of a certain group of people did something doesn't mean that that yeah. is the entirety of that group because Christian Christianity now I know is completely different from what it went or what it was back then it still is based off of the same thing but the way we go about it is a whole lot different and I will say that even if which there probably was as Christians the Christians are not perfect people they're not. So Christians can make a mistake and they can do something that's wrong. They can even do horrible things. But ultimately, if they do, that is contrary to what Jesus taught. And just because one person, like I said, just because one person messes up in a group of people doesn't mean the entire group of people is bad. Yeah. And so I did have a thing for the third section, which was, so the third ejection, oh wait, no, I'm done. I need to okay, so the third section was that Christians hid books in monasteries and then claimed credit for having protected the knowledge later when their scheme was found out. So as it turns out, Catholic monks actually did an outstanding job at preserving medieval books. The concept of monks hiding books away in their monasteries is not entirely accurate, even though it also is actually, I've, this isn't the first time I've heard it before. You see, you have to understand that in those days, they didn't have a printing press to make copies of the books that they wanted. They, didn't, they couldn't do that. 
meaning that the monks would have to take a previous volume, such as the Bible or another religious book or even other like history books and things, and they'd have to copy it by hand, a process that took hours and hours. So, because of the labor-intensive job of copying books, they were extremely expensive, not to mention the different difficulties of obtaining materials necessary to even copy them. With that being said, many monks would spend much of their lives in monasteries copying books so that they would be preserved for future generations. Many monasteries had small libraries full of hand-copied books. Now, for the most part, as is accurately accurate, the, these monastery monastic libraries were not open to the public. The public can read them. But there were some that did allow people to access their books. The most interesting feature about these libraries is that the books were actually chained to the walls and the shelves because of how expensive and valuable they were. Aside from these monastic libraries, the only people that could afford books were the highly educated and the rich. So as you can see, the claim that Christianity hid books away from the public is unfounded. Yeah. And then uh, the end of the comment uh, was basically how we had only used two sources, when that is not... No. I did not state that at any time last episode. I don't think Sawyer did I either. I was not saying it was And I did put in the uh, last episode two sources in the description where he got a lot of his information from. But that doesn't mean that was the only two information that we had. That was, those were just the two that we knew of. Because like a that lot of mine, I probably couldn't go find uh, the exact links. It probably might take me a bit to get all the links in there. Yeah, same. But like we have, we're not just using two sources. We're doing no. a variety of sources. Yeah. And I would like to assure everyone that we did use many more than two sources. And when I suggested that you go to Answers of Genesis and the Institute for Creation Research for more information, I did not mean to intentionally to imply I might have. I did not mean to imply those were the, our only sources. Simply that those are two of the many sources that we did employ, or at least I did, and that they did have a lot of information in them. Yeah. I also wanted to say that as far as this, so at the end of the very end of the comment, the comment says that the true investigator can discuss both sides of the argument. Okay. And so I was, I just wanted to say that as far as discussing both sides of the issue goes. I'd like to say that in studying for the episode, I did read material from both sides of the argument, the Christian side and the secular side, and could easily discuss both sides of the issue. But I didn't for two reasons. The first is simply the issue of time. A podcast episode can only be so long, and to adequately discuss all sides of an issue that massive would take a very, very long time. The second reason is this. Evolutionary, atheist, and secularist worldviews are already common knowledge. I didn't feel it necessary to explain the other side of the issue, and I'm sure he didn't either, when everyone is already so heavily indoctrinated by it in public schools, colleges, and universities. Even television puts references to evolution and atheism in it. Besides, when you walk into a public school, are you presented with all sides of the argument? Of course, you are not told that evolution... Of course not. You are told that evolution is a fact and that God doesn't exist if they even mention God at all. Is that accurately discussing both sides of an issue? It is certainly not. Especially when, like, teachers and that can't even discuss religion no, at all. They refuse. Uh, no, no. I've had uh, teachers who will, but they can't because it is legally, on a, yeah. legally can't do that. Yeah. When you walk into public school to a science class, you're not, they're not discussing both sides of the issue anyways. But, as you can see, not discussing the other side of the argument was not an oversight on our part, and there is reasons for it. It certainly does not reflect any lack of knowledge on our part on the subject. Yeah, and so we might eventually do, like, a thing where we set up like a debate where one person researches one side of it and the other one researches the other and we go back and forth a little bit, but probably not anywhere in the near future right no, now. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, do you have anything? 
Alright, so I did want to say at the end, I just wanted to just give a brief um, explanation of the gospel. So, um, to start, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So I just wanted to say that every single person in this world has sinned. There's not a single perfect person. Jesus was the only sinless person, man, to ever live, and he was also God, so that doesn't really count. Everyone sins. Romans, and you sin almost on a daily basis. You do sin, like, yeah. Even if you sin, like, three times a day, because every thought, every idea, even intrusive thoughts, you may not act on them, but that thinking that is still pretty much a sin. Yeah. And so even if you, like, you commit three sins a day, that's still a thousand sins in a year. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot. And so Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want to say that because of that sin that every single person has, the wages of sin is death. Because of that sin, we are all destined to live in eternity in hell after we die. When you die, you go one of two places. You go to heaven or you go to hell. And the Bible says that if you ever sinned in your life, which it also says that every single person has, that you're going to go to hell. But the last part of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'd also like to say John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we all sin, and because of that sin, we're all destined for hell. But that's not the end of the story. There is a way to go to heaven. 2,000 years ago, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to earth, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And at the, when he was... Yeah, 33. Yeah, he was crucified. So after living a perfect, sinless life, he was taken, he was beaten, and he was hung on a cross for our sins. And if you look at that story, it's, that's horrible, why did that happen? But that's not the end of the story either, because three days later, after Jesus had been hung on the cross, died, and put in a tomb, three days later, he rose again. And because of that, we can be saved and go to heaven. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you are not saved, then you are automatically destined for hell because of the sin. And so the only way to receive salvation and to be able to go to heaven and not have to suffer the pains of hell is to accept salvation, which is through Jesus Christ alone. So I guess that is all we have for today, so let's, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray to thank you for this day, and I pray to thank you for giving us the opportunity to do this podcast. I pray to just thank you for your word and all the truths that it contains. And I pray to thank you that when objections like this are raised against you and your Bible, that or you and your word, that we, there is you can resolve them, and that they, even though people might try to claim your word is false, it is true all the way from cover to cover. And I pray, dear Lord, just that you will use this podcast in any way you see fit, and that maybe if there is someone that isn't saved who's watching, that you will just use this podcast to lead them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We will see you guys next month, and I uh, think the topic we're going to be doing next month is salvation and how to yeah. save others, so be on the lookout for that, and we'll see no, you next not month. Not how to save others, but how to lead others to salvation. Yeah.